Long your oats. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> All right, let's open up to Exodus 16. I'm going to make this uh, as fast as possible, which usually means it'll be two hours. Um, we've already read through Exodus 16 once. I want to read through it again. Um, last time we kind of talked about testing, the Lord's testing, and how Israel would begin to test the Lord, but really they were in the wrong because the Lord was the one testing them. And today what I want to talk about is in particular the manna, because we went through this chapter, but we didn't really address that. Um, so I'm going to read real quickly, uh, probably just the first several verses, and then maybe the last several verses of 16. Uh, verse 1, the entire Israelite community departed free from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, now remember they left Egypt, uh, the Passover started the day after that, the day after the 14th, so literally on the 15th of the first month they had left, so we're one month out from uh, the death of the firstborn. Verse 2, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. So remember, as they fled Egypt, they took out their unleavened bread with them. It became a ceremony, and, and we talked about Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But now we're a month in, and they've run out of their supply of bread. And immediately, and we've talked about this, they start to, to grumble and complain, and they just say, you know, it would have been just better to die there as slaves. At least we were fat and happy. At least we had food to eat. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning for he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 16. Now, there's been, the, the manna has come, it looks like flakes on the ground, and it says this, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this, and some gathered a lot, and some a little. And when they measured it by courts, the person who had gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. So some people went out and gathered a, a whole bunch, but when they measured it, it was basically what it was supposed to be, the two courts. And some people didn't really gather that much, but when they measured theirs... It seemed to increase to how much they needed. The Lord supplied each as he had need. Now, 
he gives them this rule, like don't save it till, I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase here. He tells them, don't save any of it because you need to collect it each day. It's not gonna last. But again, Israel being Israel, they don't listen. A bunch of them keep it. And the next morning when they get up, it's filled with maggots and it's rotten and gross. Now on the sixth day, he tells them, but on the sixth day, you can actually gather twice as much and it won't rot overnight. It'll stay till the next day because the seventh day is a day of rest, a day of Sabbath. So, of course, Israel being Israel, disobey again. And this time, they don't keep extra. They actually go out and search for more again. And the Lord says, gosh, how long am I going to have to deal with your, your people, Moses? Like, are we, Is this just going to be what we're always going to do? And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> um, and they called it manna because they said, what is it? So manna just means, what is it? So that's what it's called. Like, what? what? That's the name of it. Um, now let's skip down to verse 33. It says, Moses told Aaron, take a container and put two quarts of manna in it and then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. Now, later on, what's going to happen is they're going to build a tabernacle and within this tabernacle will be a chest, not like this, but a chest that is called the Ark of the Covenant and inside the ark or next to the ark, there's debates on which both the manna in this jar would be put in there to be preserved forever. The tablets of the law that were written by the finger of God and given to Moses up on Mount Sinai and uh, Aaron's staff, which had budded, which will happen later on as well, were all put there either, depending on how you understand the translation, either in front of the ark of the covenant in the Holy of Holies or inside the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. That's what he's instructing him to do here. Preserve some of this for later on. So the children of Israel can remember how I preserved them throughout the wilderness with this manna. And verse 35 said this, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land and they ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. So just a quick little, you know, spoiler alert they don't get into the land very quickly. It says here directly, like this is, they do this for 40 years. This generation doesn't get in because they're so rebellious. So for 40 years, they eat this, but the minute they get to the border of Canaan, this miraculous provision of manna stops. Okay, so that's kind of the section we're gonna go through. Um, and where I want us to start is with this, because uh, I think it's awesome and interesting. But, I, like I like to do, I want to look back very quickly. How did we get here? How did we get to this place in Scripture? We're, we're in the middle of the desert. These slaves who have been living in Egypt for the better part of 400 years, um, they don't really have any discernible skill or ability other than they're shepherds, so they have flocks, and they were slaves, so they made bricks. That's all we really know about them. They're not farmers. They don't know how to do any of that type of stuff. They don't have supplies or anything else that they need to be able to provide for themselves. They're in the desert. So it's not like they can go, you know, we're going to go by this one village or town and we can buy bread there. No, they're just in the middle of nowhere and they've run out of bread and they're pretty, pretty stressed about it. As you can tell, they're starting to say, we just been better for us to die around those pots of meat in Egypt. Um, but how did they get here? Well, if we remember back, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were promised that they would eventually live in this land called Canaan and it would be given to them. 
Um, but the Lord had also said, you know, before you get this land, there's going to be about 400 years where you are living in a different land as foreigners. You'll eventually become slaves. And he says, because though I have a promise to you and I'm obligated to fulfill that, I also have my character that requires me to do something else. And that's to give the people in the land, the Amorites, 400 years until their sins are full. Now, the Lord knows everything. He knows they're not going to repent. He knows eventually Israel will come in, take the land. Those people will be driven out and sometimes wiped out in wars with Israel. But what he says is, I'm going to give them 400 years until their sins are full. The long suffering of God, the patience of God, the kindness of God, even to people who are exceedingly wicked. I mean, these are people who would take their newborn infants, take a brazen image with arms out like this and an empty stomach, and they would put as much fuel as they could into that stomach and, and heat this idol till it was red hot and then put their babies on the arms and burn them alive as a sacrifice to these gods, these pagan gods. These were the people that God was patient with. For 400 years, he waited for them to repent, knowing full well that they wouldn't repent and yet unwilling to punish them before he'd shown them his mercy, though they never took a hold of it. Now, we're told that because he tells Abraham that. And so we know that something has to happen in the interim. They've been promised the land and yet it's not time for them to take over the land. And so what happens is during this story, throughout the beginning of Genesis, a man has 12 sons named Jacob, one of these, the, the patriarchs, and he has a favorite son and his favorite son's name is Joseph. And Joseph starts being given these bizarre dreams by God. And Joseph being probably not the brightest or maybe not the most humble, begins to share these dreams with his dad and his brothers. Hey, you guys, had this dream the other night? All of you guys are gonna bow down and serve me. Now they already hate him. His brothers, all his older brothers already hate him because he's the favorite of his dad because he's from his dad's favorite wife. So if you think you have broken, messed up families or lives, the Old Testament is so much more messed up than anything in your life, most likely. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who was raised in a family where the dad had two wives and then two other kind of sort of wives that he just got to sleep with so that his other wife would get favor with him as he got to sleep with her servant. I don't know any families like that. Maybe you do, but these are the people God called, his special people. Mother's so, Day was tough on him. <laughs> Mother's Day was tough on him, yes. So Joseph is hated by his brothers and they eventually sell him into slavery because they're so jealous of him. When they sell him into slavery, he eventually is sold into Egypt. In Egypt, he's also given dreams. Now, as we get further into the story, what we find out is a great famine comes over the land of Egypt, but not only Egypt, but the entire region. So in Genesis 41, 56, we're told that the, this famine that was going to come, that the Lord had told Joseph about and told the Pharaoh about, and they had consorted or conspired to make a plan to overcome this famine because the Lord had given these visions to the Pharaoh and given Joseph the interpretation of these dreams. This famine becomes really bad and we're told that it fills the whole land so much so that now all the way up in Canaan where Jacob and the rest of his sons are still living, they start to run out of food. 
So they go down to Egypt, they find food. Eventually it's revealed to them, oh, Joseph's still alive. He's this great, basically, prince in Egypt. And the famine's going to last longer. So they, the entire family moves down to Egypt and they begin to dwell there. And then these years and years pass. And eventually the people that they had been part of saving forget that Joseph was ever someone who helped save them. And they just realize we have this big group of people that live among us that aren't Egyptians. What should we do with them? And they begin to decide to make them slaves and they begin to oppress them and hurt them and destroy them and commit genocide against them, having them throw their own sons into the Nile. Now, all that has happened to get us to this point. In addition to that, during that time, a little boy who was supposed to be cast into the River Nile was put in a basket and he's eventually drawn out of the water. His name is Moses, which means drawn out of water. And he's raised also kind of like Joseph as a prince in Egypt. And he is eventually called by the Lord to be the redeemer of Israel, to be the one through whom God's gonna rescue his people. Now we've seen all these miracles and plagues. The final thing that had happened is they've been led through the Red Sea as though on dry ground and the entire army of their enemies is drowned. The water covered over them. And here they are on the other side. They rejoice and they sing to God in Exodus 15. And yet here we are one month in and they are complaining. They're at their wits end. How are we going to eat? So, They think, man, would it have been better if we died? If the Lord killed us with the Egyptians in Egypt, at least maybe he could have struck us dead right as we're filling our guts with this meat pots and this bread. But God had a different plan, and that's kind of what I want to look at. And let's turn to Psalm 105. Because we so often get to places in our life Like we just talked about, about this church, it seems in our estimation as haphazard, as just an event that happened. And I'm sure for Joseph, that's how he looked at his life. And yet we know that Joseph at the end of his life, after his father had died, said to his brothers, what you guys did, you did it out of an evil intent. You meant it for evil. But I see now in retrospect, as I look back, God meant it for good. So all the suffering and pain and anguish that Joseph had carried all those years was actually suffering that he endured for the saving of his people and for the saving of the entire region. And so he realized that at the end of his life. But here's something really interesting that Psalm 105 tells us, and I want to read it. It's kind of a, Psalm 105 is a recounting kind of of the history of Israel. So it goes through a bunch of the sections that we're going through in Exodus. So I want you guys to hear this because we can so often look at life and forget that as Christians, not the whole world, you hear people say a lot of times, well, I know that um, everything is meant to be. Like, I I know there's a purpose for everything. I know that. And that's not entirely true. It's true for the Christian because in Romans it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But that's not a promise that the non-believer has. That's a promise for the Christian. That's a promise for the child of God. And I want to show you an example of it here because I think we can look at this story and be like, yeah, and then this happened and this happened and this happened and now we're here and the Exodus is happening and there's the hand of God. We see the hand of God in the Exodus, but we forget 
that the hand of God was involved from the very beginning. So let's open to Psalm 105. And let's open to verse 16. It says of the Lord, he called down famine against the land and broke the supply of bread. This is talking about before Israel went down to Egypt. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, and they hurt his feet with shackles, and his neck was put in an iron collar until the time his prediction came true, the word of the Lord tested him. The Lord brought the famine to break the supply of bread. The Lord was the one who orchestrated that entire event, and he was the one who gave visions and, or I'm sorry, dreams to Joseph and put it on his heart to share with his siblings, knowing his siblings would become jealous, hate him, sell him, and the Lord would prepare a way for his people so that Joseph would be there to make sure that there was a supply of bread in Egypt so that his people would go down to Egypt so that they could incubate there for 400 years until they became a nation that was ready to possess the land. How many times in our lives do we come to places where those who love us or are supposed to love us have betrayed us, like Joseph. His brothers, those are his older brothers. Remember what the Lord had said to Cain about Abel. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord doesn't answer it directly, but the the answer is yes. And yet here's all of his older brothers. They are supposed to be their brother's keeper, and they sold their brother into slavery. And none of that was a surprise to God. And the suffering and the tears that he cried night after night, I'm sure, begging God to save him, begging God to free him, begging God and asking him, where are you? Why aren't you coming for me? Why aren't you rescuing me? And God said, wait, wait. Just like he said to the children of Israel as they stood at the Red Sea, a sea in front of them, an army behind them. And he said, wait, be quiet and see the salvation of the Lord. Where are we in our life? What are we dealing with right now? The Lord is saying to us, wait, I'm here with you. I've got a plan. Now, I'm sure if it was in Joseph's timing, Joseph would have been out of those shackles within several days. (laughs) But he wasn't. By the time Joseph got raised up, he was an, an, I don't know about an old man, but he wasn't a boy. He was an adult man, probably 40. And here he was, 40 years or 30 years, however long it had been since he'd been sold, let's say he was 15, 30 years of suffering, 30 years of suffering. And yet at the end of his life, he was able to have the perspective and say, I came through all this. And even though you meant it to do evil to me, God is good and he wanted to do good through me. And that's where we're at. We're at a place right now where the God who broke the supply of bread to bring Israel down is now supplying them with bread. He destroyed the supply of bread so that he could bring Israel down to Egypt, bring them through the Red Sea, and be the one to supply bread to them. But not in the way that they were accustomed to back in Canaan, where through their hard work, their ingenuity, their wisdom, they could get bread for themselves. No, this bread, they had to depend on God every single morning that he was going to show up. They had to depend on God every single day that he was going to provide provision. 
Where, where are we? Are we in a place right now where we don't think the Lord can provide for us? He can provide for us. And that's what he was teaching Israel. I can and will provide for you. And he says that through this difficult situation, he wants to teach them something. So he had taught Joseph this lesson. Joseph learned it toward the end of his life. But listen to what it says a little bit further in Psalm 105. Let's go to verse 42 through the end of the chapter. He says, Of God, for he remembered his holy promise to Abraham, his servant. He brought his people out, speaking of Egypt, with rejoicing, his chosen one with shouts of joy, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they inherited what other peoples had worked for. All this happened so that they might keep his statutes and obey his instructions. Hallelujah, it says. The Lord did it for a purpose, not on accident, not haphazardly, not for nothing. He broke the supply of bread so that he could bring them through this time of suffering. And then now at this new hurdle that they had to overcome, running out of food, he wants them to learn a lesson. You can trust me, obey me, obey my instructions. Don't go out there the next, don't go out there when I told you to just gather enough for one day and take more. Don't save it to the next day. You need me every day. Now, in Deuteronomy, it gives us a little bit more insight. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy. I believe it's chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. We'll just start in verse 1. The verse that I really want to focus on is a little bit further. I think it's verse 3, but we'll start in verse 1. So Deuteronomy 8, 1. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter the may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your fathers. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you. He might humble you. Now you're thinking, these are slaves. How much more humble do you get? But the Lord wanted them to be humbled in such a way that they would depend completely on him. The same way that Brighton depends on her mother for everything. She is fully dependent on Kelsey. Yach and Bethany just had a baby. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah. Somebody is excited on Mother's Day. Uh, Yach and Bethany, my brother Yach, his wife Bethany, they just had a baby. Uh, Baptist Jerome Johnson, that's his name. Um, but that baby is fully and completely dependent on Bethany for everything. He has no ability. He has no power. He has no way to provide for himself. And that's the kind of humility that the Lord's looking for. He says here, I brought you through this so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands He humbled you by letting you go hungry. He led them to this place. They've run out of bread. He's doing this on purpose. He wants them to come to a place where they no longer depend on themselves. I believe it's in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about that as he went through so many trials that he finally came to the place where he no longer depended on himself, 
but just purely and completely depended on the power and grace of the Lord. And that was it. That's what he wants in us. He wants to humble us. So where are we? Where are you? Are you in a place where like Joseph, you're like, Lord, why am I going through this? Those who are supposed to care for me have betrayed me. The the things that are supposed to be going right are going wrong. And for all these years, he waits and waits and waits. Why? So that he can be humbled, so he can see. Ah, I, I see what you guys did. It was wrong, it was evil, but God had a plan. And I'm glad that I was part of that plan. Listen to what else he says here. Then, so after you were hungry, then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Listen to that. Now, that sounds strange because you read it and you're like, wait, he was giving them bread. No, but the bread came daily at the command of God. And even when they were back in Canaan before the supply of bread was broken, they were foolish to think that it was by their ingenuity, their genius, their hard work that they were getting bread year after year. We so often look at our lives and we say, well, yeah, Lord, I mean, I'm pretty bright. I work hard. The things I have are because I've provided it. And he says, no, all these things are held together by my word. Hebrews 1.3 says that. Hebrews says he sustains everything in existence by his word. And when he ceases it, when he wants, when he pulls his word back, that supply of bread is broken. All the land is going to go into famine. It's nothing for him. But at the same token, on the other side, at his command, every single day that manna came, faithfully, every morning it was there for them. Every single day, so that they would be humbled, not to trust in themselves, but to trust in God, who daily shows up to provide for us in our needs. What is your need? They needed bread, so God provided them with manna. Whatever your need is, the Lord becomes that need. His word brings it forth for you. And sometimes it might take decade upon decade before the fruition of that thing comes to pass. But do not lose hope. He is simply allowing you to learn in humility. So submit to that. Submit to it. He wants to work in you. He wants you to learn that we do not live by bread alone. Remember, this life that we're living is transient. Ever since they ate the fruit in the garden, our life has one final destination, and that's death. And yet, the Lord is saying, it's not the bread that sustains you. You think it's bread that keeps you living, but even that, it doesn't. I, my word is the one that sustains you. My word is the one that keeps you alive. That's how you live. So, God kept his promise to Israel. God provided for Israel. God gave bread to Israel to sustain them. He kept his promise. He provided. He gave them bread. But we my fellow Christians, we have greater promises than Israel had. We have a greater provision. We have the greater manna. We have something better. Let's go to 
to John 6, and let's just read it. You guys probably all know it. But think about how amazing this is. Jesus has just gone out. Mark 8, 4 tells us they were in a desert place, immediately bringing any Jewish person's mind all the way back to the wilderness, the desert that they had gone through to get from Egypt to the promised land. They're out in a desert place. There's all these people out there to see him. And he feels compassion. He wants to feed them. And they say, even a year's worth of wages would not be enough to feed all these people. And one of the disciples says, but there is a kid here. He's got like two loaves, five loaves, some fish, but that's nothing. And the Lord says, make everybody sit down. Let's, let's give it to him. And as he breaks the bread and spreads it out, the bread is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And what does it say? Just like all the way back here, when they get the manna, everyone went away satisfied. Nobody got too much. Nobody got too little. They were satisfied, just what they needed. And so there he is. He's just fed this multitude. The people are freaking out. Imagine this. Imagine 5,000 to 15,000 people, maybe even more, because it was just 5,000 men besides women and children. Imagine this man is this, you're in the middle of nowhere and he breaks some loaves. And as he starts passing out, you notice, dude, there's like thousands of loaves now. Everybody's eating. And what do they say? Oh my gosh, this is Messiah. This is the king, the promised king that would come in the line of David. This is who we need. We need to make him king. And the Lord knows that they're going to come and try and forcibly make him king. So he takes off. His disciples go. He goes up onto a mountain to pray. During the night, as they're going over the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus walks to them on water, another amazing miracle. And as he gets to the other side, the people finally figure out, who were still on this side where they'd eaten, that Jesus was on the other side. So they all make way and they head over there. And this is what it says. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're not coming to me because you saw a miracle, but because I gave you what you wanted. I gave you what you needed. Then he says this, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Now, this is ironic to me because he (laughs) literally had just provided them with a multitude of bread. And yet they're like, well, what are you going to do to show us that you're actually this guy? I mean... Prove it. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Look at these people. They're lost. They're longing for something. Look at our world, you guys. Look at it. People will run after anything and worship it just so they might fill the emptiness within them. They will kill themselves getting high on something just because for a moment it takes away that pain. 
out of their heart of emptiness. Just for a moment, it frees them. That's how destitute and far our world is. And these people are no different. It's the condition of humanity since the garden. We are desperate for something. Oftentimes, we don't even know what. Verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Just like Joseph. Joseph had to go and do the will of God who sent him before his his brothers. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Therefore the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they were saying, wait, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know this guy. He didn't come from heaven. We know this guy. How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Uh, Sorry. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, if I could get that enunciated correctly, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, they will live forever. You guys. The Lord wanted to humble the Israelites by making them hungry and then providing manna for them. He brings us into places in our life that we don't want to go to, that we would not choose that we would not ask for. And yet, he asks us to trust in him. He asks us to believe that he will see us through. He asks us to know that he is going to sustain us through that, no matter what, because he is faithful and good. And that promise finds its full fruition, not in this life, but in a life to come where all the pains and sorrows of this world are done. Now, I know this seems to be my constant refrain every time we go through Exodus. But the reason it is is because all the things in Exodus speak to the greater Exodus that Jesus brought us through. All the promises to the fathers speak to greater promises that were promised through Jesus. All the hope that they had of coming to a land speak to a better land, a land where there's a city whose foundation and maker is God. The new Jerusalem, that is our hope. If we do not have our eyes on the correct hope, then how can we see through to the end? 
If we do not understand that God is for us and that he is orchestrating, working, designing, pulling and working by his providence to take these evil things in our life and make them for good, we may not understand it now. We may not understand it in a year, a decade, five, uh, 50 years, but maybe in eternity we'll understand it. Or maybe it's the 51st year that we come to understanding. Just like Joseph where he says, ah, I see, Lord, I see what you were doing. You didn't hate me. You weren't trying to destroy me. You loved me and you loved my family. And so you saw me, you saw me as special, able to go through this suffering and come to the other side. You saw me as someone that could walk with you through it. And because I had that ability, you called me to be the one who saved my family. Now, I want to read and we'll finish here. And I actually don't even know where this verse is <laughs> because I didn't mark it. Um, but it is the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer as we... If anybody has access to their phone, <laughs> mine doesn't work very well in here, and could tell me where I can find that, that'd be awesome. I know it's recorded in Mark, Luke, I believe Matthew as well. Um, I apologize, I thought I marked it, but then as I was going through, I realized I did not. Uh, might be Matthew, Matthew 6? Okay, Matthew 6. Okay. This will be the final thing that I read, and then I uh, will close. Um, his disciples come to Jesus. They ask, how, how do we pray, Lord? And then in verse 9, it says this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Now, that's from the Ten Commandments. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus has told us in John that he is the bread from heaven. And when he teaches us to pray, he, push, he, gets, all the, he gets all the Israelites that he's teaching, his disciples here. They're all Israelites. And he pushes their mind all the way back to the manna that was provided for them day by day by day by day. Never too much never too little, never more than they can handle, never mo not enough so they can't get through. It doesn't last till the next day. Every day, every single day, they had to come to the Lord for that bread. Father, give us today our daily bread. When we sit with the Lord, he wants to provide you guys with the ability to be sustained through the sorrow, the hardness, the difficulty, the trials, the pain of this life, also through the joy, also through the blessing. As the Israelites are warned before they go into the land, he says, when you come into this beautiful land and everything's provided for you, do not become prideful in your own heart and have your heart lifted up thinking somehow you gave this to yourself. I gave it to you. And then when you have all these good things, don't let your heart be turned away from the Lord. I don't need him anymore. We're in the land now. I don't need to depend on him. Every single day, I go out and I have vineyards and I have cattle and I have grain. Both ways can deceive us. If we have too little, we can think God doesn't love us. He's not providing for us. If we have too much, we can forget it that it is he who sustains everything by his word. Every day, you guys, we need the Lord. 
We need the bread that came down from heaven. We need Jesus Christ in our life day by day to sustain us, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to love us, to warn us. He loves us, you guys. And whatever you're going through, know this for certain. Not maybe, not I'm guessing, not I think. I am telling you for certain. God will see you through to the end. God has seen the, be- the end from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. The path that he's taking you on, no matter how haphazard, no matter how hard, no matter how much it doesn't seem like it connects, one day you will see it. One day you will understand what he had for you. One day you will understand that he was bringing you closer to himself. And hopefully in doing that, and you through humility, submitting yourself to that path, will understand also that he has a mission that only you can fulfill, just like Joseph, to bring others to that sustaining bread. That's his hope, you guys. That's his hope for you. That's our hope in him. Trust in him, you guys. He loves you so much. He loves me despite all my shortcomings and all the things that I've walked through. He is bringing those things about to draw us nearer to him and to show us that he is a faithful provider. Um, now, I don't know how quick that was or not quick. My guess is it was way longer than 